This episode of the Wedding Film School Show is brought to you by Musicbed, the best music licensing platform for wedding filmmakers. Head over to themusicbed.com and enter our code WFS on checkout to get a free month on your annual wedding subscription. Now, on to the show. We're, we're going to give you all five bits of bad advice that maybe you should not listen to. Usually when someone says, you should raise prices, the next sentence after that is usually, you're undercutting the industry, right? Yes. And so that's actually the reason why they're telling you to raise prices is because they don't want you to undercut them. My business is about me. My business is not about them. Yeah. It's about my family. It's about like me running a business that is profitable, that allows me to have the lifestyle I want. My business is not about making friends or even feeling good because these people think I'm awesome. If they will pay me $20,000 and I show up and they literally are like, I'm not giving you any food and they throw my food out the window, but I'm always going to get $20,000. I am bringing a tuna sandwich in my backpack every time. And I will say, yes, sir, can I have another? The best self-care is having working systems. If I have to put a little bit of time into like fixing the problem, the problem isn't that fact that you're not going to the spot. Let me get right in my bag. Uh, why you going to try to get mad? Uh, everybody want to keep up. Uh, don't you know I move too fast? Uh, I'm going to zip, zip right past. Uh, drip, drip all on my swag. Uh, all right, everybody, welcome to the Wedding Film School Show. Back again for another great episode. As usual, I'm here with my business partner, friend, and overall, uh, I don't know, I'm partner a, in crime. A person who does weddings. Yeah, uh, Jason McCutcheon in the house. We uh, have another, again, great episode for you today. Jason, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about five, we're, we're going to give you all five bits of bad advice that um maybe you've received over the years, um, that maybe you should not listen to. Um, I'll say this as a preface to the episode. Um, this is not all bad advice in a vacuum. This is good advice sometimes, but I think the biggest thing we're thinking is this is some advice that we've heard given very generally across the board with no context as just always like, oh yeah, you should always do this. And this is good advice. And this is like a strategy. And I'm always like, you don't even know anything about this person's business or their like what's going on in their life or what the factors are. So we wanted to create, say like, if you've heard this advice, maybe think twice. Yeah. I think the worst advice can be, um, misconstrued advice because you take a lot, a lot of times you take this advice from like gurus, right? Like people in the industry who've had a lot of success who say certain things and you're like, oh, that's good. Yeah, I want more of that. And then it's like, well, you know, A, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But then also, um, what do they mean by that? Because if they mean one thing, then it's wrong. Well, are they selling thing, you something that teaches you should do this and I'll sell you something to teach you how. Oh, right, right. Right. It's like, and I'm not a. I'm obviously like obviously all for selling education and knowledge is valuable. So I'm not anti courses, but I do think you have to realize anyone who's teaching something most likely is either terrible at the thing they're teaching. And so they have to go into teaching to make money. So keep that in mind. What is that? Those who can't do teach. Um, that's a thing. Probably though, it's not that probably it's that they are, at a farther development stage of their business. And they're more telling you, this is what I currently do. Mm -hmm. Very rarely do you hear someone talk to you about like the three stages of your business, like getting started, getting established, you know, the rising stage. And then like, you've made it. You don't want to operate like you've made it when you haven't made it. When you're just getting started, there are different 
times to do different things with your business. Right. And sometimes something's really good advice for one person and not really good advice for you and where you're at in your business. Right. And the thing I like about this episode is that I feel like um, it applies to a lot of different people at all different stages of their business. It's for the person who's just starting out who, you know, when you take a piece of advice, usually and you're first starting out, you really run with it and you're like, oh, I want to this person said this, therefore, this is the one thing I should be pursuing. Or they have the work I like the most and they said it, therefore, I should do what they do. Totally, totally. And, and you know, opinions are, are generally going to be um, weighted differently when you're first starting because you just don't have that experience. Um, and if you're running in the wrong direction, you could waste years of your career trying to pursue something that at the end of the day really isn't that important. It's not for right? you, that's for sure. It could so, be just totally un in not applicable to yep. you and your context. And and ultimately, this is mostly business stuff, by the way. Like, we're not necessarily talking about shooting or artistic advice. This is wedding creative kind of business advice that yep. we've heard over the years that we think a lot of it marketing-driven, sales-driven, that mm -hmm. we think is just kind of either totally bunk or, you know, I would say, like, what do they do in Twitter? Like, context, like, a <laughs> little... Fact check context thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think when um, people give advice in at really anything, like Tony Robbins, like I know people are big fans of like inspirational speakers, but they always try to condense condense it down to like ten points to be a successful wedding filmmaker. And if you know anything about anything, it's really has a lot more nuance than just 10 points and you'll be all of a sudden become successful. There's a lot more nuance to it. So I think the point of this is like, let's break it down a little bit more and talk about what people mean when they say these or five just things. Is it even some of the, some of the ones in this, I just think are just crap advice and you shouldn't listen <laughs> to it at all. <laughs> sure. So let's, let's dive right in. Cause we're uh, beating around the bush, Jason, as usual. Um, the first thing that we put down, uh, and this is a piece of advice, uh, that we've heard many times is you should raise your prices. So what do we mean by this is bad advice to just raise your prices? Let, let's just set the scene. Yeah. Person in a Facebook group. <laughs> Where you should always get your advice, by the way. Yeah. The, the genesis of most bad advice. <laughs> I, well, I would say all the advice given on the Wedding Film School group on Facebook is great advice. Well, because so that's we the only place all the bad you, advice. Yes, yes. We go through and, and yeah, erase anything that uh, we think is crap. Um, okay. So you're in a Facebook group. We don't do that, by the way. You post an image you know, or a video, and you say something along the lines of, which this is a totally wrong way to think about it, but- how much would you guys sell this for? Or you or you say something like, I did this thing for this much and I'm having an issue with this client. And somebody goes, oh, you should raise your prices because you won't be dealing with clients like this. Or, wow, your work is really good. You should raise your prices. Or like, you're hurting the industry. You should raise your prices. Or just basically like, it's basically accepted to flippantly tell everyone to raise their prices without requiring any knowledge based on is their work good or do you like their prices? <laughs> Would you charge that much? Or what is the prices in your area? Or what if like, there's almost like no need it seems to actually understand how pricing actually works. People just say this. And so a lot of times I think it's really bad advice. It's like typically most of the courses I've seen pretty much are raise your prices. They pretty much are just like, 
do this thing, raise your prices, take my thing, raise your prices. And I'm always like, yes, sometimes you should raise your prices. We raised our prices last year. You were a little nervous. Um, I, the jury's a little still out, but in general, I think we're seeing, it was a good call. We brought in 50% more revenue in the last two years per gig. And then we booked more than ever. And, and it did control our volume a little bit in a good way. And so it did all the things we were hoping to do. It gave us margin. It helped us control our leads, all this good stuff. It also helped us create differ differentiation between our Stockwell Love brand and our Merriman brand. We have a lot of reasons why we raised our prices. None of them were, we are really good at wedding films. We should raise our prices. Yeah. Oh, well, I think someone could say kind of to that because we are really good at it and we can charge, we can demand what we're charging for sure. our films. Sure. So that that's kind of like a prerequisite. But the problem with this that I find a lot of young filmmakers doing in, in their business you know, side of things is um, just being like, well, I'm good. I, therefore, I should charge what I'm what I think I'm worth. And it's not based on demand. Right. Like, I'm as good as that guy. You, your work should inform um, your demand eventually, right? But if you think that you're worth an $8,000 film and you're only getting five leads a year, that's probably not a good time to be raising your prices to eight grand. You need the demand to back it up. So like, yes, if you are good enough and you're charging $4,000 for $8,000 product, what I would say is fill up your schedule with a bunch of $4,000 films and get to the point where you feel like you're maxed out. That could be 20 weddings. It could be oh, 30 yeah. weddings. If you're prove doing it. it all by yourself, prove it, do it, go out and get the work. And then once you're fully booked, I think that's the best time when you should be raising prices where you're, where you, like you said, trying to tamper down your demand and just make it so that, Hey, we're, we're trying to just keep our volume down to what I feel comfortable being able to work and just slowly raising prices that way. That's how you should be raising prices. You know, they always call it over on how to film weddings, crock pot, right? You know, slow. I've never heard of that podcast. What podcast is that again? <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, you know, crock pot method. Yeah. It's like you slow and steady. Yeah. You know, you slow and steady build it. And, and I think that is really how pricing should go. It mm. should be a slow and steady build. And it, I think the first factor is, okay, What's the baseline price in your market? And am I, and that's where quality comes in, right? If I look at the baseline price in my market and I am reliably as good as my competitors, okay, that might be a good base price. But raising prices, like keep leveling up, ultimately is about demand. The most important like factor into really, really leveling up your pricing is about demand. And of course, the second level is networking. Mm -hmm. Right? Do you have access? We base our pricing now based on the the level of the weddings our planners have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're like I'm much more basing my pricing off their budgets than I am off even the market now for Stop Go Love because we know we're more expensive than the market, but we're very we're affordable for the planners we work with, and mm -hmm. that's kind of our that's where we are with that product. With right. with Merriment Films, we're selling directly to customers. Mm -hmm we're competing with every other filmmaker and we need to, when someone sees it, they need to be like, that seems about right. Mm -hmm. Like we can't be like, what the heck? Why is this so expensive? Right. And, and like that matters. And if you don't think it matters, you don't understand consumers. And so this is what I'll tell you about pricing. A lot of things. Cause I 
really care about this subject, but also just think of yourself as a consumer and how you would feel if you saw a turkey at the grocery store. And and people always talk about like educating someone. We're going to talk about that later and value and all these concepts, right? But you're still going to have sticker shock if you see one turkey $80 and the other turkey $20. Oh, yeah, if you read that other one, you'll see all these great things about it. You're not even going to read that label. You're just going to look at the 20 30 $10 turkeys. Like, oh, this one's 30 this one's 20 Oh, this one seems better. Let me read the label. You're not going to just look at something that is four times more expensive than you ever thought it was going to be. So you don't want to be at that point. If you're having to talk to customers. And so price raising is about the ability to hear no a lot. Like you should be raising your price when you can afford lots of no's. I was talking to someone the other day and they keep raising their prices. And I finally was like, show me your last wedding seasons. And they've never done more than 10 weddings of their own booked weddings. They should never have raised their prices. Because Unless I'm not, they just want to do 10, but I would say that's not most people. That was not what they wanted. Yeah. They were just following advice. They were thinking, like, if I raise my prices, I'll be perceived as a higher-end filmmaker. Well, and I'll get more demand. Yeah, yeah. People by will raise, see. just raising prices. And it's actually opposite. When you raise prices, you get less. Like, our hit rate went way down when we raised our prices that We much. got 900 leads last year or something, 950. This year, it's the beginning of December. We're already 1,100. Mm-hmm. We have booked less weddings this year than last year with 20% more leads. Right. And our pricing went up pretty significantly, probably 20%. Um, yeah. It's directly due to pricing. Your hit rate is going to go down. So it's just yeah. – But we can afford. We that? can afford a lot of no's because right. we have a strategy – that's generating enough leads yeah. to let us do whatever we want. Yeah. And I would say we're not getting more leads because we raised our prices. Actually, I don't know. Maybe we are like because we're just seen as a more high-end person. We're but working, I, we're I working really, nicer weddings. I, like, I, I there's like an indirect correlation. Other, yeah. Like you get into higher-end weddings, so your stuff looks better. And, yeah. and, and, and this is all true, but like walk before you can run. Right. Like, right. like, like just if you're not booking a full season plus – you got to, if you're not saying no to people mm-hmm. because you are consistently booked and you're going, shoot, man, I'm leaving money on the table. That's why you raise your prices. Right. This is the other part of this piece of advice that I uh, really hate. And, and you and I see through it in a heartbeat is usually when someone says, you should raise prices, the next sentence after that is usually, you're undercutting the industry, right? Yes. And so that's actually the reason why they're telling you to raise prices is because they don't want you to undercut them, right? Yeah. So you got to, you know, really take in who's this person giving me this advice? What's their real motive in telling me that I should Or be do they want to just put you on the like thing of their course and saying I helped raise this person's prices and right. they're making tons of money and right. it's like you need to book a season of weddings, not a month of weddings. Yeah. And and so that's what I would say is just who is the person giving you this advice? And I would say that for all of this advice that we're my advice today, too. By the way, who is giving this advice, and what is their ulterior motive? At the, well, end of the, day? the second I sell a course about pricing, you have to take my advice on pricing with a grain of salt. Totally, totally. Yep. Uh, let's move on to the second one, which uh, I love because this is kind of uh, more of my world. Which is <laughs> the knot is a scam. What, what do you think about uh, that piece of advice, Jay? I think it's stupid. <laughs> I think anyone who says that doesn't know what they're talking about and has just 
eating the most sourest of grapes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I think um, I I would probably agree. I, I think that person has probably had a bad experience. No, let me say the, the nice way. Pretend anyone who's listening, pretend I didn't say that, and I'll and I'll I'll say the more the less hyperbolic way. I think that person probably has had a bad experience and is having their um ex- their inform their feedback more informed by their emotions rather than real data. Right, right. Um, let me just preface this part of our conversation by saying we have a lot of experience here, right? Like we've been uh, working with The Knot and Wedding Wire for, since we started really, probably at least since 2012. So uh, 10 years plus at this point, I think was when we started working with The Knot, right? Um, and so we've tried a lot of different things, a lot of different markets. We have three different companies. We've spent, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands, of dollars. Hun- probably. Yeah. Over a hundred thousand dollars, at least with the knot and wedding wire over those years. Um, so we've seen a lot of things. We've seen a lot of things work and we've seen a lot of things not work. And so I think for a lot of people, and I, I'm not saying this to like brag, uh, we've seen a lot of success, um, because we've been able to spend so much money on it and see what works. And then we've wasted a lot of money too. So the big data sample size makes a big difference. It does. It does. Just by being able to spend a lot and seeing what works and what doesn't has allowed us to whittle down. I think the person that makes that statement has just only dealt with the negative, you know? Well, usually I'll find out that they've spent like $600 a year on it. And I'm like, you spend $600. Like that's and for one year and it's like well it didn't give and me they the have like the two reviews and yeah. then i go and look and they're like this is what i'll tell you if you're not profile sucks and your work sucks and you don't do a good job with any of the things required at creating trust with a consumer mm-hmm. and you're just almost like a cynical person who thinks like who people are idiots who cares and like oh, i put my stuff up there people should click on it it's like you literally don't have the self-awareness to know that that person's profile looks better than yours mm-hmm. that that person has 20 30 40 reviews and hundreds you have two, hundreds of reviews some like, of these companies some of these videography companies that you go on in your local area will have hundreds of reviews. nst films or something like that that's like running a booking agency what do you think they're spending their money on mm-hmm. like yep. like so what is more likely jared that someone who purely functions as a booking agency and marketing firm that happens to book filmmakers, NST, what's, what's the other ones that we hate? Uh, um, I mean, something I don't we... hate anybody, Jason. Oh, okay. But there are other booking agencies. Like, um, George Street is one of them. Uh, there, there's, uh, yeah. With something heart <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Look at yeah. those companies. Why do you, do you think that they would be stupid enough to spend the most amount of money on something if it didn't work yeah it does work it, it works it, it, does. it doesn't it's not for everyone right but it's not a scam yeah it's just not in every market for every filmmaker you know the whole like oh there's only budget brides we have data that says that's not true yeah they, and we book plenty of you know $6,500 weddings on the knot and wedding wire guys like we're on there getting those bookings you know granted uh, we turn away a lot of people. And this is a, a, a thing I see a lot with the Knot and Wedding Wire is like, oh, they just have a bunch of fake leads, which is true. I probably would say it's true. It seems probably true. true to me. Like, I just see the people who come through and I'm like, this is not a real person. This is like Carrie 
uh, Haskins one two three four is not a real person. Like at gmail.com. Like but it, that's a it fake might person. Ju- it might literally just be f- scammers, fishers. It might sure. not, it might have nothing to do with the knot. Yep. It's just like a publicly available email portal to you. You have think of it this way, like. What if people did that with their own form on their site? Like mm-hmm. forms on sites are stupid. Yep. It's yep. like we have all these scammers. Yeah, scammers will fill out the form on your site. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they do. Anywhere. Like anywhere where someone can get a hold of you, they're going to try to scam you. Yep. So yep. but we can definitely say that some of these people are real. Um what I would recommend to somebody is um, don't talk to people on the not and or get them over to your site ASAP. Yeah, that, like, that's what we do. That's a yeah. piece of advice I'd, I'd give out to people in this world just so you can uh, control that lead a little bit better. It makes it so that, hey, this is actually a real person. It also gets them over to your you know, uh, world faster of just seeing work and uh, getting them into your ecosystem. Maybe we'll do like a full thing about this someday. Yeah, but I think like, it would be beneficial to but people. But like in general, numbers. I'll just tell people quick hits with the knot. Yep. You got it. You got to get reviews. Yep. It will not work if you don't get reviews. Yep. You have to pay for a premium listing. If you're not on the first page, it will not work. You have to make sure you have to be honest. And if you're not able to be honest, get someone else to be honest. Pay me on a console and I'll be honest with you. Yep. Like with how your front page presentation looks, it has to look good. It has to look much better and it has to stand out to your competitors. And then you got to get them onto your site, mm-hmm. get them off the knot and get them on your site. And like, in general, if you do those things and your market can bear your prices yep. and there's not you're not actual garbage compared to the people around you, like people will you'll make some money. The key here is this is like you have to have a concept of what is a reasonable um, cost of acquisition exactly. for a new customer. And like like it's like so you spent six hundred dollars to get customers. I only got one customer. Do you know how much we pay for per customer? Like we're, we are totally fine to pay $300 per customer to acquire a customer. 400. I'm happy with $400 per customer. And like when there's someone like me, I don't have then invest close to as much as NST, by the way. Yeah. So what do you think the value is to acquiring a lead on the not or wedding wire compared to somebody who's in your referral. Oh group. yeah, because people and, always go like, I get free leads. Right, 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 right. Like, so there's referrals, which are free, right? Um, maybe uh, a sister of somebody's wedding that you shot or uh, even from a planner or whatever, from these referral circles, right? What is the benefit of a not lead? It's really the difference between like regenerative leads and um, depleting leads and like, Anytime you get a, I would say from the wild, anytime you get a customer from the wild, that is more, that is inherently more valuable than a referral. Yeah. Because a customer from the wild opens you up to new referrals. Exactly. You're creating new referral circles, right? And that's what we found is like, you got to think of it this way. When you get a lead from the knot, yes, they might book a, a great, you booked a $6,500 wedding. That's crazy. But how many more $6,500 weddings are you going to get from that one person potentially? Yes. So you got to think of You might it. work with a new planner. Yep. Probably not, but maybe. You might work with a new photographer. You might work at a new venue you've never worked. Like we all know one of the issues people love, like, oh, I love referrals. I work at the same places. And I'm like, that scares me. You know that when I talk about our business, I'm yep. like, oh, I'm working with the same people too much. Yep. Like it scares me, you know. Because what happens when that planner, that venue, whatever, they find someone else and they forget about you, then you're shit out of luck. Well, for... we were, I was talking with someone yesterday, and who will remain nameless, and he was telling me 
you know, you end up working with the same four or five planners at the top of the market. And if one of them has a baby, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great yep. to have those relationships. We have those relationships. We depend on them. Yep. But we don't want to be- It could be like a $50,000 swing at the top of the market for you easily. Easily, easily. <laughs> and so like you want to be adding new, like just a lot of people have this problem where they start their business and they're doing really well yep. because they got all their young married friends to give them shoot weddings and, and it was beautiful. And then they get a few friends. And as they get older, like me and you, we're getting older. None of our friends are getting married anymore. Yeah. We're, we're all in the kids having stage. Yep. And like the same thing is happening to your clients. Yep. They don't have any more friends who need to hire you. Yep. So you need new clients. Yep. So I think just having something like the not gives you access to new people. And that is very valuable to you. So for years to come. This would be my kind of one-two point for people that have been disenfranchised by something like The Knot or Wedding Wire is um, try again, I would say, but also try different markets. And and in order to, to make this successful, you have to track all this stuff, guys. Like if you don't have a way to track how many leads or you're not going through yearly, this is something I do every single year is I'll write down, hey, uh, these are all the leads we got. These are how many booked. And then this is the value of that couple that we booked over the, the course of the entire year. The, all the couples, like we spent this much, this much came in. This is how we determine what our lead acquisition is. Um, how does that compare to different places in different years, like different markets? We have one market last year that returned 24 times the amount that we paid for. On the knot. On the knot. Um, we paid a very small amount up front and it gave us huge dividends on the other side. Now, granted, we had other ones that were more like two or three times what we invested, much more expensive and cost of acquisition. There, we're there mainly, by the way, because we don't want to lose our share of voice in the market. Sure. So like there's other ways to look at it besides just pure sales. Yep. There's like I want to be ubiquitous. I want to. I want people to see my name all over the place. Yep. And the other thing to keep in mind with all this stuff is people don't always tell you the truth or remember. Yeah. Sometimes people just see something and then they go like, oh, I've seen that somewhere. I trust them now. Instagram is my lead source. Yeah. Because that's where they, the last place they saw you. Yep. Diversity, diversity, diversity. Uh, you should be diversifying your lead sources um, continually and always be thinking about that. I would say, you know, Anytime you see this question kind of popped up in like a Facebook group, like, oh, the knot is a ripoff. Um, I would say there's a reason why no one is really fighting that person. Everyone will just pile on and be like, yeah, it's terrible. The people that it's working for aren't responding because they know everyone is leaving, which drives down the price of the demand of a not profile. So what, if I'm having success, why would I tell anyone else oh, where I, I'm having success? Like my, I'm telling everyone <laughs> this, but I want you to all keep thinking it sucks and don't get on it and let me keep reaping the benefits. Yeah, that's, like, that's that, a big that deal. That would be great. If you guys all want to be, my success is a lot of times built on other people's mistakes. That's it. That's so. it. So think about what your competition is doing. So, uh, okay. So let's move on to the third one here. Self-care is important, which <laughs> self-care is important. Yeah. Why, so what's why your I, problem with self-care, Jay? Well, why do I put this on the list? I. This is just my own, I guess, my personal cross to bear, right? Um, and I'll tell you guys this. Before, you know, the last two years were not great years for me. 
self-care wise. And, you know, working as much as we did, doing what we did in the way that we did it is not something I would advise people to do. So I don't think that there is no value to self-care or that you should work so much that it fractures your mental health, spiritual health, all those things. I think that's not true. I think you should, there are things more important than work. That being said, as advice, most of the time when I see someone just, that's one of like the small bits of advice that people will never push back on. Like if you say I'm burnt out, everyone will say self-care is important. No one will ever say to you, how many weddings did you shoot? Oh, seven. Why are you burnt out shooting seven weddings? Oh, you, you can't judge that, Jay. I freaking do this for a living. I can judge that. Like, you think I can't judge that, Jared, that someone shouldn't be burnt out shooting seven weddings? I would say that the problem isn't what you think it is. No. The problem isn't that you're working too much. The problem is that you have other things that you're dealing with. Sure. You can be stressed. I'm not saying you're not stressed. And, and the problem like, isn't that you're not giving yourself enough self-care. That's not the problem. That's what we're really – that's really what I'm saying is it's not advice. I've worked in churches. I've worked in high schools. I've worked in a lot of environments where you're giving people very important life advice for their life. And the way that you give advice about someone's life should start with questions. And you should try to make them prove their premise. Mm. You should get the person to say to you, like, tell me about your life. Tell me about what's going on. Tell me about your contribution to the problem. Talk to me about your business. Talk to me about this, that, and the other thing. And what you, what you find, the more you work with people, is that people spend a lot of time justifying their lack of success as someone else's fault or as needing more of a break. Like if I got more of a break, then I would be inspired. And it's like, let's talk about what's going on in your life. Oh, I'm just so far behind on edits. So I need more self-care time so I can. Right. And I'm like, no, you need to work until you're done with the edit. Right. Or you need to not be so into yourself that you can't just finish a video on time that you think every video has to be this perfect work of art because you're such an egomaniac. You're not willing to just, you know, keep your promises. Mm -hmm. Like, this is my issue. Is like, if someone's telling you you need more self-care and they're not asking you about what's going on, just don't listen to that advice. Mm. Someone who's not willing to sit down with you and talk to you about your life and actually understand you and try to actually get to the actual problems you're having and figure out if that is the reason. Mm. It could be the reason. But yeah. it's but it's not just automatically the reason. And like the fact that the advice would be you're lazy. Like if someone just said, like, maybe you shouldn't be so lazy on Facebook, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be immediately shut down. Yeah. But it actually could be a relevant reason why you are experiencing the hardships you are. Or maybe you should dress better. Or maybe you should like have better work. Like those are all reasons why you could feel stressed. Like what they're really saying is a lot of times is I'm not making as much money as I th- think I should be in as easy of time as I thought I should be. This makes me unhappy. I don't want to think about this work anymore. Hmm. That is what I, a lot of times people are saying when they say I need more work-life balance or all these things. It's like when I work, it's painful because it's not going the way I think it should be going. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So everyone who says this is lazy and bad. Amazing. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think um, this is an interesting Not one. Not at I, all, by the way. I, I, no. <laughs> I think um, the best self-care is working systems, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, That would be I, a great self-care, right? What, what I mean by that is, like for me personally, if I go away on vacation in the middle of wedding season, I'm super stressed, I'm disorganized, I'm, you know, like, oh, this is crazy. Uh, I go away on vacation. Um, that stress doesn't go away for me. Like, even if, like, vacation is self-care. Like, you go away, you get away from it all, do your thing. Like, even if you're going to spas, like, it's stressful for me knowing that I'm coming back to a cluster later yes. on. So it's... The way to avoid the stress, by the way, would be for you to pretend like that problem didn't exist, which would not be healthy. Yeah. that And, and so the best self-care is having working systems that makes a lot of sense to me because like if I have to put a little bit of time into like fixing the problem, the problem isn't that fact that you're not going to the spa enough or, or not like even like this idea that you should be spending equal amounts of time at work as with your family. Mm. Where did this come from? Yeah. Like in what universe, like, like what level of entitlement do you have that you think that you should be the first generation in the history of mankind who gets to spend the equal amounts of time with their family and equal amounts of time at their jobs. Like for most of the time, like your job was part of your family. Right. Right. So like, like I understand the tension there, by the way, like I know photographers, I was talking to someone the other day and he was talking about, I was on the road for 13 straight days. And when I get home, I don't want to do editing. And I fully understand that. Right. You get home and like, you need to give your family time. You know, the, the people that have, I think have the best work-life balance are part-time videographers because they have a real job. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, I have to work Monday through Friday, uh, my full-time job or my part-time job. And then Saturday I have to shoot a wedding. And then when I'm home, I'm having to do edits. And and so, you know, moving and transitioning for, to a full-time role for them, they really work hard because they understand, hey, this is my job and a job is like nine to five, you know? So it's like, Work-life balance becomes better for them when they move to full-time because they're like, hey, I'm going to work. But also, maybe I do have more time to be around my family because I'm not doing two jobs at the same well, time. The biggest thing is this. Treat it like a job. Treat it like a job. If you don't yeah. treat it like a job, don't complain to me about self-care. Yep. If you do treat it like a job and you're experiencing demand or you're not succeeding as much as you think. And by the way, I just think analyzing the problem properly is I'm a pro, I'm like a object, object-oriented person. I'm a goals-oriented person. If yep. you tell me I have X problem and it's not the problem, I will not be able to talk to you about what you think the problem is. <laughs> I will only be able to keep coming back to the problem is you're not making enough money because you keep, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so tired. I just need more like work-life balance. How would you feel if you made $200,000 doing this? I'd be, that'd be great. I would feel so happy. The fact that that made you happy, and this is what I'll tell you. A mild exercise. This isn't everything. But if you're listening to this and you think what you need is more work-life balance, and then you imagined making as much money as you think you want to make, doing exactly what you are doing now, and it makes you feel better about the work you're doing, maybe... That's not the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, like very few. I know this statistically. There's not enough people making enough money and being successful enough to actually complain about working too many hours. Now, given you can be inefficient, and that'd be the next thing I'd say is, if you're doing something 
and you're not doing it well, that is going to be stressful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just got to go through that. There are no shortcuts to becoming good at something. I agree. Uh, I mean, this discussion kind of leads into our fourth question a little bit. Are you ready for me to move on? Yeah, move on. Okay. Yeah, I've offended <laughs> enough people about this. They think I'm like, like I'm anti self care, and I like literally work at a church. So You're just I'm, I'm whipping not. yourself over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, number four that we wrote down was: if you educate your client, they will spend more. What do they mean by that, and why do you think this is a bad piece of advice? I think this is an, another one of those Twitter context required things that really matters. And I think a lot of people saying this, by the way, like I agree with what they mean. And so again, back to the caveats, right? I am not anti educating your client and I'm not anti getting your client to spend more. What I will say is I hear this advice all the time as if everyone is holding out on you. Like they're coming to the door and they're like, uh, what is video? Uh, you're the only video I've, person I've ever talked to. Uh, video costs $2,000. Oh, wait, it's 6000 Okay. Like, and they like literally have never talked to another person. They have no idea how much it costs. And the reason they're not pin- spending more is because they don't realize how hard it is and how good you really are and what a great experience they're going to have working with you. It's like, that is not true. They're, I don't think that is true enough. To, for how much I hear the advice. Right. I, I think there are a lot of people, most people, and we have a lot of data to back this up. Most people, Jared, that you talk to in sales, pretty much have the money they have. Like, right? Yeah, I would say a vast majority of them. Uh, it depends on the clientele. Um but I think the majority of people have a certain budget and they're looking to stay within a range. Um, my, my problem with this is that people are always like, well, this one time I had this bride who said she wanted to charge 6,000. I talked her up to $10,000 and like that person exists. It does exist. But I think the vast majority, it's, they only give that one example usually or two examples, but I can tell you, you know all those people that ghost you on your website? <laughs> yes. The vast majority of people have a you real budget. <laughs> you shouldn't build your business. I always see like, I just booked my first $10,000 wedding gig. What was it? Oh, it's a seven-day shoot. <laughs> and so you make like a $1,500 a day? You want me to like pat right. you on the back for making $1,500 a day? Like, right. I'm not saying it's nothing. I like booking five days of work in a row is actually a big feat. That's mm-hmm. a, that is great. But like the same thing goes with educate your clients. Like clients are not just, they, it's not just, they don't understand how much of an artist I am. Mm-hmm. They don't understand how this is, you know, like if you sit down with them, Jared, and you just tell them like, Hey, when your kids are older, they won't really know your grandma. And like when they see that video, be priceless yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then, then they just oh my god i didn't i never realized that when i was hiring a videographer when i was calling someone that they would be documenting my friends and family now i am going to give you 15k because right. i never crossed my mind that my grandma would be at my wedding thank you so much for educating me my my thoughts there is what happens when you have that conversation exact uh-huh. conversation you had and then they go okay yeah we're um we're calling a couple other people and then the next person says the exact same thing, but they're $3,000 cheaper. 
Exactly. It's just, you know, okay, they educated the client too, but they're just cheaper and the work is just as good. So it really has nothing to do with the words that are coming out of your mouth of like whatever, however good of a salesperson you are, if they are wanting to spend a certain amount of money and if they think Mm. the value that they're getting from another videographer is just as good as the value you're putting out, it doesn't mean a thing. If I'm having to explain to you how good I am, I'm losing. Mm-hmm. Like, like when you see a per, like, you know, we have wives, right? Your wife is pretty cheap, I guess. So I don't know that she likes expensive. Is there anything expensive your wife likes? Um, Like, what's the expensive thing? No. Uh, well, yes, but then she has uh, Catholic guilt. So it's like she'll always be like, if we spend the money on a purse. A purse. So she I likes really the purse. Love, that I really love, she'll be like, I feel I, I have to return it. She'll sure, return sure. It. But she sees the purse, right? Yes. And she doesn't initially go, no one should ever pay $3,000 for that purse. Hmm. She says, that purse is worth $3,000. It doesn't question her. The brand is what give, creates the value, not the education. No one has ever asked, why is that purse expensive? Mm. Louis Vuitton is Lots expensive. Lots of men ask that, I think. We do, <laughs> but not. But it's an emotional purchase. Yeah. Like A purse like that is an emotional purchase. And I think weddings are much more like purses than they are like a washing machine for your house. Mm. Like You don't go like, which one has the most features? Mm. Which one is going to last the longest? Which one is going to – you're much more going like – it has a feeling it has a, it's a vanity to purchase. It. it's a vanity purchase it's yeah. you're much more trying to sell them lifestyle feeling emotion and so there is education but education has to happen like 360 right everything about your brand should be educating they should see your logo they should see your social media feeds this is your website yeah. it's not just telling them on a phone call like with your words why they should be willing to give you two thousand dollars more than they budgeted or ten thousand dollars more than they budgeted and then being offended at them and like Oh, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't get it. You're, they they get it. They don't care. Oh, people just don't value video. No crap, dude. Grow up. <laughs> it's like so what? Like enough people value it for me to make a bunch of money. So I think you could make a bunch of money if you would just get your thinking straight about what does it mean to educate people. What it means to educate people is to give them a sense that you are along the same, like that you understand them. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, is much more important than it is to show them that they will get more features or patronize them by explaining to them that video is good and it will help them keep their memories. Mm-hmm. Like, anyone's calling you, they already value that. Yeah. And they're not only calling you. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they'll just make a, either an emotional decision or a financial decision. Mm-hmm. They're not making a logical decision. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I, I look at it, which I think financial is logical, but it's not based on like, even like, okay, you're educating them, educate them on why they get more products by working with you. Right. right. Educate them on that. That's educating. Like telling them like, Oh, I give you less, but it's better. Trust me. Mm-hmm. That's what people always want to do. Like, don't hire that guy. They're a scumbag. It's like, well, they gave me seven more videos though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I think that, you know, there is a certain, there is a small percentage of people that if you, you know, they will buy you based on your education, mm-hmm. right? Like, I guess it depends on what I mean by it, by the way. You should educate your clients. I agree with that. Always educate your clients. But when I educate my client, it's really to save my butt at the end of the day. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily to upsell. I'm educating my client on, hey, uh, music. 
let me educate you on what it means to license a song. Mm-hmm. Because if you come to me and you're like, I want a Coldplay song, and I want to say, I can't do that. That's going to make you upset because I can't physically do it. But if I educate you ahead of time before you make the purchase on what music is, that's what I, the education that I like or even is like, stuff that will save my butt. Oh, you want a second shooter. Why Why is that included? Right. Yeah, like, that's well, a, that that's has, a good one. There's cost to it right. to me. I have to pay someone. Do you yep. want me to not pay someone? Yep. Do you want a sucky person or do you want a good person? Like, right. like people understand, like, oh, I'm getting more services. Right. I'm getting more product. I'm getting better services, better product. Yep. They get that. I would say the best, yeah, that is the best education is just educating on them on the value that they get. And, and when I do that, I'm educating them on maybe why they should get a second shooter and spend the extra money. Sure. They why can, they should get more or less videos. But that's very practical. Yes. That's not just like spend more on me you know, for educate, I'm educating you on why I'm better than other people. It's more, I'm fighting myself. Like I'm educating you on products that I sell that will be better for you to fit your day. By the way, I am totally fine with educating someone like this. Well, you know, this is how much we charge and essentially saying someone else will book me. So if you don't want it, then like that's all the education someone needs. Mm -hmm. If they see your work and they have the money for it and they think they're going to lose out, like, how is that educating? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, that, like if you're if you're charging 10k for weddings consistently, yeah. which is what it's not because you proved to the world that that's what you're worth. It's that you created enough demand at that price point that you can just not care if someone doesn't book you. Yeah. Yep. So totally. anyway, um, let's move on to number five, which is the final one today. The final question or unsolicited advice, I should say. Yes. Uh, um, which is, oh, you should only work with people who value your work. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean, Jared? Um, well, uh, if I can put myself in that person's shoes, I would say. The person giving the advice. The person giving the advice is like, oh, I only want to work with people who really see my art as art. I see that person. They understand me. They understand me. Or, or they want me specifically because of me and my, you know, uh, presets. <laughs> That I use, I, I'm making fun people of it. love but, my people love my look. Yeah, people love my look. They love my personality. Uh, and at the end of the day, they're not going to question my pricing. They're not going to uh, try to whittle me down potentially. Like they, there's all like they're going to the, be better the day of. They're going to be happier at the end. Yep. Uh, and I think some of the um, ideal client. Um, kind of terminology can work itself into this conversation, right? Like oh, only, only work with your any, ideal client. Only work with your ideal client. Who would you say um, your ideal client? My is? ideal client is someone who has the money that I want to charge, who works at or who's within an hour of drive. <laughs> That's my ideal client, um, and hopefully, I can get more. My ideal client will change because I want to charge more money. So I will. My ideal client will be the person who wants to give me more money. I only say that not to be cynical because I know a lot of people hear that and be like, "He's greedy." It's because I worked with enough people to not feel like it actually. It, I don't find this whole like these people are awesome people, but rich people are poo poo people. Like I just feel like you never know what you're gonna get anyway. So why bother like trying to guess it? Mm-hmm. I've had plenty of clients where we're like, they're amazing. And you get to the day of and they suck and they're horrible to work with. Or clients where you're like, this wedding is not nice. And you get to the day and you have a great time. But I still think like, darn, that wedding wasn't nice. 
it would have been a lot better if it was nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like I just, at the end of the day, like my business is about me. Mm-hmm. My business is not about them. Yeah. It's about my family. It's about my employees. It's about like me running a business that yeah. is profitable, that allows me to have the lifestyle I want. My business is not about making friends or even feeling good because these people think I'm awesome. Yeah. Like it's really about like it's if if they will pay me twenty thousand dollars and I show up and they literally are like I'm not giving you any food and they throw my food out the window and but I know every single wedding they refuse to feed me, but I'm always gonna get twenty thousand dollars. I am bringing a tuna sandwich in my backpack every time and I will say yes sir. Can I have another? They call you by another name. Yes, They're all like, day. Jansen, uh, J- uh, come <laughs> over here, Jansen. You're like, yes, sir, right away, and then, sir. And they go like this, put that camera down. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. And I'm like, and then every time they get the wedding film, they're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And every time. Yeah. I don't believe that that would happen. I think you have to have content. But I'm just saying, like, if I really think about it, I don't really care if I'm getting paid. Yeah. And to be honest, we'd probably be like, what is up with these people? Oh, these yeah, people are totally. We'd talk a bunch of like, oh yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm still taking that job. Me too. And I'm, and, and if I, the only reason it bothers me is because I think, oh man, like I, this isn't sustainable. Like if I'm mm-hmm. working with people who aren't appreciating what I'm doing, it's thinking, I think it reflects on my business yep. and my art. Yep. And I don't want that to be bad. I, I understand it because, like, we work with a lot of really cool people that I love and I would be friends with in real life and text message and all these things. Like, we get those people too, guys. It's not just like we work with rich people, take their money, and (laughs) act like they're dogs all day. Um, You know, we work with a lot of really cool people. We're not being abused either, by the way. That's not what we, it's everyone treats me great, basically. Yeah. I I think we're just saying, like, at the end of the day, we really want to make a business that is sustainable and that means like hey do you have the money are you halfway decent (laughs) for a person you know i i think well we were um, talking before this um about this person who's mad about some ridiculous thing that they expect you to do that will cost you money with a wedding job right mm -hmm. and i said to you cost eat cost spend money like well this person will do it like and my rule is i never do anything that's bad for me financially Mm -hmm like as a policy, I might do it to save face, but that's actually good for me financially. Right. Yeah. Like I'm trying to keep them something bad from happening. Yeah. I don't know why I would, there are people, I mean, we, we talked about it with Josh last week, how he, he thinks he overly fine tuned his own marketing to not get enough clients. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is really where I go with this is when a lot of people talk about this and they talk about their clients, like, only work with people that value your work and you know, everything becomes overly obsessed with working with this dream client. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of dream clients. Yeah. That's the whole thing is like, you can't do that to yourself. You have to, what is a classic thing? Like he's, Josh said it, I say it sometimes like Tim for the meal, one for the real. Mm -hmm. That is how your business actually needs to operate. So like, in order to run a business, you have to work with a range of people. And like everyone's obsessed with diversity, right? That's a good thing. We all say it's a good thing in life, diversity. You should have a diverse type of clientele. And this is what I'll say, you're not always right either. Like that wedding, I did that wedding, I've talked about it several times on podcasts. It just demoralized me, this wedding we did over Sunday. It was this horrible wedding, I got treated terrible. I was like, I did the worst. This wedding sucks. This is terrible. I watched the film the other day and I was like, oh, this is a dope film. <laughs> this is really good. Yeah. I was wrong. Yeah. 
I didn't feel good about what I was doing, and I didn't like how I was treated, but the film was darn good, and I did a good job, and they're going to love it, and that will make me money. That film, if I show it to prospective clients, will that's one of our best Cape Cod weddings. Hmm. And I would be an idiot to not put it out there just because it hurt my feelings mm-hmm. the day of or the wedding. Or it's not your ideal client. Yeah. It's like because it's good. Yeah. It's good, and some like, and you just—I don't believe you can fine-tune your work enough to control your customer's personality, or whether or not they actually care about video. Yeah, well, I think about this too. Is like, if you do want to work with your ideal client because they value your work, think about your work. Think about like, hey, I'm doing something that might be really cool and trendy right now, but what happens when that isn't as cool and trendy anymore? Like right now, it's like. Is it still really cool? Like, I don't yeah. even know. I don't get, is it still really cool to do elopement films at Yosemite or is it played out? What happens if that was your thing? You live near Yosemite and now no one wants to get married at Yosemite. Now you're kind of SOL, right? It's like, is that cool anymore? Or like, even you if you either like have to adjust, but for five our business, other, five other filmmakers doing the go same for the same thing. customer and yep. some of them happen to be better than you. Yep. Yep. And, and what happens if you have to adjust because all of a sudden no one books you like you're out of luck for a year. Because no one booked you for that same thing. Now you're having to adjust and you're a year behind everyone. Like, it's just like, I, I don't know, putting all your eggs in one basket of just like, I'm talent. I only want to work with people who value my talent. Um, it's a little scary to me, like personally. It, no so. one would ever, like, what if you're a restaurant and you operated like, I'm only going to serve food to people who appreciate what I do. Mm. My dad, we, we, me and my wife were eating at a restaurant the other day. And my wife goes, what restaurant could we ever take your parents to that would impress them? And I said, nothing. I don't think I could ever impress my, like, they don't have good taste. (laughs) Like, they don't know what good food is. They will never, ever be able to appreciate good food. Yeah. And that shouldn't offend the chef. Uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. That shouldn't bother the chef. Sure. He should care that there are enough people in his restaurant who do get it, and they're willing to give him the money. And if my parents did come to the restaurant, and they said, I want $800 of dinner, and then they go, bad, yucky, gross, and they just eat their way through the food, they might go, that guy's a jerk. That guy's crazy. But if you came back every week and kept giving them an $800 tab, they would be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like. That doesn't happen, so yeah. that's why you need to care about like customer experience. You do need to care that people love it and they like it and they appreciate it. Yeah. But like, don't get so obsessed with them liking it the way you like it. Yeah. Uh, to use your restaurant analogy, because I think it's a good one, is how many restaurants in Providence have gone out of business that are just hipster restaurants that are like, I only want to <laughs> serve food to hipsters. Yeah. How many of those go out of business every All the time. single year? How many times have you been to a restaurant? You're like, I love this restaurant. And then it can't generate enough money. Right. Because either their food is too expensive to make, the quality is actually too good, yeah. or the too fine-tuned to too small of an audience that quote-unquote gets it. It can't get people like your mom and dad there. Whereas Capitol Grill, Fleming's. Uh, chain Chris, steakhouses chain steakhouses that will be there now and they will be there forever and they will serve uh, higher quality food and make way more money because it's just like hey they do a good job every single time and their doors are open to everybody who has the money to come pay the bills like 
that's a great analogy. I love that's weddings. Yeah. Weddings are supposed to be universal experiences. They're not supposed to be these fine tuned things. And it's like, you're telling me you could only shoot a wedding with this floppy haired hipster in Iceland. You're not a good filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You suck. Mm-hmm. Like you're not good. Shoot a real wedding, please. Thank mm. you. <laughs> Which a lot of people can do. Like anyone who's really good can. They can work in all conditions and work with all types of couples. Doesn't mean you put them all on your social media. Show what you want to grow, right? Yeah. But like, you hear this advice a lot from people who are giving this advice. Who, that's not what they mean. They don't mean like that. They mean don't work with people who disrespect you. Mm. And I agree with that. Cool. Don't work with someone who disrespects you. If someone's rude to you and mean to you and and like. I think there's a line you draw. That's fine. But like, yeah, there, there and, and with this, I mean, we talk about being abused. I wouldn't even say abused. We're just but, kidding about, that. you know, like, we don't get abused. I, we get treated great. Yeah. Treated great. But even if you don't get treated great, like, I think it is important for a person to like find where the lines are. Like, I, yeah. I, I know, I know people who have walked off of weddings because of things groomsmen have done. And I think there should be a line there and it should be in your contract, by the way. Uh, of like, if this line is crossed, I am leaving kind of thing. And so we have some lines even in sales where the person's like, if they say certain things, we are like, yeah, we don't want to work with you. Right. Like, I'm not saying you should just work with everyone who has money. Right. I'm saying though, like, don't, don't reject people who have money just because you have some preconceived prejudice about who you think is actually good enough to conceive like consume your art yeah yep. that's all i'm saying I, I think josh is saying really sums it up really well um what what the one you just said just 10 for the meal one for the real i think that's such a good concept um you know how many weddings do you really have to put on your website at the end of the year like new work like three to four new even films. if you're like with 15 second reels you don't need the whole wedding to be good you right. can just show off there were three good parts if yep. you're I think I could show off 15 seconds of every wedding we shoot Yep. if I had to. You show what you want to grow, and if you get those opportunities, you take them. But, like, don't shut down people that have, you know, are just, like, open hand, you know, looking to feed you. Like, I think that's a big deal. So, um, anyways, guys, hopefully this conversation between two very jaded filmmakers is <laughs> been uh, beneficial to you. But I, I do think it's just from our personal experience um, – you know, things that we think can really hurt people's businesses by taking this advice for years on end. Well, and just and, taking it without context, there's right. proper context for all this advice. Yep. If you're working with someone and they're actually talking you through it and this is the advice they give you and you respect them, great. If they just, any advice should just be like, what's that person's, like what's the buy-in level to this conversation before you take it? Like right now, I'm telling you my random thing, could be totally wrong for your business like so you want i mean like obviously i want you to listen to my podcast so it's like i have a stake in the conversation too so anytime you're hearing this stuff like i'm just mainly saying don't blindly listen to this it's universally accepted and not pushed back on because these are the things we all want they're aspirational that's the thing about all five of these every one of these things we all want to do and that's good. We should want to do them. But it's not always the right move for you in that moment to fix the problem you're having. Yeah. Well, I'm completely unbiased. So, guys, make sure you're tuning in uh, every other week here on Wedding Film School Show. Uh, also, uh, on a 
pretty weekly basis, I would say, we host WFS Live over on our YouTube channel. Jason, Bobby, and myself, kind of a little rotation going on. Most of the time, it's Jason, I would say. He's kind of heading that show up. I'm the whipping boy. That's uh, where we review your wedding films on a weekly basis. Uh, Usually, we do three to four of those. And I'll tell you if it's the film that's the problem and not one of these five things. Right, right, exactly. Uh, Sometimes, we'll mix in websites. Sometimes, we'll mix in pricing, which we talked a little bit about today, uh, to just give people critiques and help you grow your business. So, uh, make sure you are tuning in there. Facebook group, uh, 16,000 strong uh, people that are looking to have conversations about wedding filmmaking. If you're not a member, make sure you join there. I think that's it. Yeah. Make sure you tune into our propaganda again next week. Some other time. <laughs> Some other time. And we'll see you next time here on the Wedding Film School Show.